Verse 7 down through verse number 11, the Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Uh, All year long, we've been looking at our theme, Love Works. I have talked a whole lot about the word love. Uh, That that word love is found over and over again from verse 7 down through verse 11. You might be getting tired of hearing the topic of love preached. But as one preacher said, I'm going to keep preaching it until you start living it. And uh, God knew that it needed to be emphasized over and over and over again because our love is broken and we need to have it repaired. And I'm hoping that at some point this year, God will shine a light bright enough into the corners of your heart and into the corners of my heart. And he'll show us where we're getting it wrong. And we won't just make an intellectual and intellectual acknowledgement of it. We'll make it an emotional change. We'll make a heart change and our love will be moved closer to the love that Christ has. The title of the sermon this evening is found right there in the beginning of verse 7. The title of the sermon is this, Let us love one another. Let us love one another. Let's pray. Lord, as I said just a moment ago, my love needs to be fixed. The truth is I love myself way more than I should. I don't love you as much as I ought to. I think about when you... Asked Peter those three times. And in the book of John, Peter, lovest thou me? The piercing gaze you must have given Peter right through to his heart. And Peter probably hung his head and thought, I don't love the Lord like I ought to. And oh Lord, how I feel that way sometimes. I believe many watching in tonight, many that will watch the service feel that way. Lord, our love is broken. And Lord, until we learn to love you like we ought to, we won't love others like we should. And so, Lord, tonight, will you do business in our hearts? Will you reveal to us where we're broken? And would you help us, Lord, to commit to purifying our love? And Lord, truly having that relationship with you and with others that you intended. Lord, we won't be perfect at this until we get to heaven. But Lord, may we identify where we fall short. And Lord, through a submitting to your spirit, may we make great strides to do better. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been very blessed in my 36 years of life to attend some great churches and have some very fine pastors. From time to time, I will speak negatively about the uh, independent Baptist movement and how it was out of balance uh, as a as a child and a teenager growing up. And I definitely have seen uh, things that have not been right. But I have to say that while I've seen some knuckleheaded pastors and I've had some pastors that were carnal men, I've also had some pastors in my 36 years of life that were very, very good men. I think about 
Charles Williams, C.H. Williams, as he went by. Uh, he died, uh, I guess I was probably a teenager when he passed. He was my pastor from age 3 to age 13. He retired in his early 70s when I was a 13-year-old boy or 12-year-old boy. I got saved under his ministry. My dad worked for him for 10 years, and my father has said that Brother Williams, Pastor Williams, was the most humble man that he ever knew, the most humble man he ever knew. He was a hardworking man, and uh, I think about um, uh, other pastors I've had through the years, and some have been really, really good. Others have been really, really carnal. Uh, others have been sort of a mixed bag. Uh, others have been, uh, uh, others have been uh, uh, very good to me and my family, and, and then uh, at times not so good to my family, and some are both. Maybe the one man in church ministry that's had the greatest influence over me, and again, I'm speaking specifically to, about pastors, the pastor that's had the greatest influence on me and my style of ministry would be Pastor Curtis King. Uh, if you've been attending here long, you know who he is. You've heard me speak about him from time to time. I worked under Pastor Curtis King as his assistant uh, in two different church ministries for six years. Um, over the last three and a half years as a pastor, there have been a number of times where I have come to a, a difficult situation a delicate situation where I needed to handle it properly. Someone told me once, actually it was Pastor King that told me this once, he said the difference between uh, churches that don't reach their potential and churches that do reach their potential oftentimes is the difference between a pastor who makes, uh, uh, makes molehills out of mountains or mountains out of molehills. Pastors that know how to take a difficult, delicate, fragile situation and handle it in a way that uh, is positive, handle it in a way that's careful, handle it in a way that minimizes damage, and then other pastors that can't do that, boy, their churches really never reach their potential, and they're constantly splintering, or their growth is stunted. Pastor Curtis King it was the uh, master carpenter, or master, past, master pastor, if you will, and I was just the apprentice learning under him, and I learned a lot. I watched him, and and I, I watched him respond instead of react. I, I learned from him uh, how to have an even-killed temperament when it came to ministry. Over the last three and a half years, uh, I have had to call him on a number of times and just say, Pastor King, how would you handle this? And I've lovingly dubbed this WWPKD, what would Pastor King do? Obviously, I care about what would Jesus do first, and Anytime I have a delicate situation, I do take it to the Lord in prayer before I take it to any person. Uh, but sometimes it's good to consult with a counselor. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that there is safety in a multitude of counselors. And so I've called him and I've gotten his opinion on how to handle many difficult situations in my tenure as a pastorate. However, there have been other times where I've come upon a difficult situation and I've not needed to call him. Because I've known exactly how to handle it. I've known how to handle it because I watched him handle a similar situation as his assistant, and I watched the positive results come from him making a godly decision based out of spiritual wisdom. Here's the point I'm getting at. The deeper that I have known him, Pastor King, uh, the, the, to my, the deeper I've known him, the better I have known how he would handle a given situation, how he would respond. Now, 
I'm not called to pastor White Oak Baptist Church as Pastor King would pastor it. I'm called to pastor White Oak Baptist Church the way the Lord would have me. But I think we all can learn from people who are men who have gone before us and who have been through similar tests and handled it, uh, handled uh, those tests in a way that pleased the Lord. Have you ever had a friend where the two of you could finish each other's sentences? Maybe you're married and you've been married many, many years and, and ma'am, you can finish his sentences and sir, you can finish her sentences. I would recommend, sir, you let her finish your sentences, but sir, you don't finish her sentences. That will get you in trouble. Uh, but maybe you have a friend from high school or a friend from just years ago. You've been friends for decades. And, man, the two of you are two peas in a pod. And you know how each other think. And you can, uh, you, you can, uh, you can finish each other's sentences. And I think about John Segru and his twin brother. John told me once that his brother will be having a, a headache. And, and he'll call him and say, are you having a headache? And they're identical twins. Yeah, I'm having a headache. And uh, is your knee hurting? Yeah, my knee's hurting. Are you getting a cold? Yeah, I'm getting a cold. And uh, they, uh, they're, they're, they, they, they know each other so well that they can just about predict how the other one will reply. Where am I going with all this? God has commanded us to love one another. That is the greatest command given between each other. Now, the greatest command in the Bible is obviously to love the Lord God. The greatest command left to us amongst each other is to love each other. Uh, it's, not, it's not anything other than that. If we love each other, if we love each other, we will fulfill the greatest command left to us here on earth uh, uh, for those amongst us. Obviously, again, the greatest command is to love the Lord, but then it's to love each other. That sounds easy to do, or rather, that sounds easy enough until you have to go put it into practice. Um, have you ever thought, I have no idea how to love him, speaking of a brother in Christ, or I have no clue how to love her. Boy, I've tried to love her. My love is rejected. I've tried to care for him. But uh, he just ignored me, or he berated me, or he put me down, or he subtly belittled me. And I have tried and tried to love my brother in the Lord, or my sister in the Lord. And they have gone out of their way to make this almost impossible. Loving that person is quite challenging. Herein lies the key. You ready? God is love. The deeper I know the Lord, the easier it will be for me to love others, even when they're difficult to love. As I get to know God, as I get to know God, God will teach me how to love in the most advanced cases. And what happens is I begin to emulate his love and it becomes more and more and more natural. Let me give you one more practical illustration. Uh, I began learning the Spanish language after I got married. Now, my Spanish is far from perfect. I was much better at it uh, in 2013 when I was a Spanish pastor. Since then, my Spanish has regressed some. Uh, but what happened was um, I was hired to be a Spanish pastor under Pastor King, and I was preaching through a translator. And so each week I'd get up and I'd open and close the service in Spanish, and then I'd have a translator, uh, Juan Lopez, who's been to our church a couple of times. He would translate for me. Shortly after I got the job, 
uh, my mom-in-law moved in with us and lived with us for about six months. Matthew was just an infant uh, moving into toddler stage, and my mom-in-law does not speak any English. Well, if you want to know whether or not your wife and mother-in-law are talking about you behind your back in another language, then guess what you do? You begin to learn that language very quickly especially when your future well-being uh, belongs or, or, or is dependent upon that. And so I began to learn Spanish. I can remember uh, when I was at uh, Rosedale Baptist with Pastor Morales, and he was the Spanish pastor there, and uh, he had asked me to help him on the platform, and then he gave me a Sunday school class. Boy, I can just remember uh, I would write out my entire Sunday school lesson in English, and then my wife would sit down at a computer for two or three hours, and she would translate word for word my uh, lesson into into Spanish. I wish you could, I could take you back and show you a video or just put you in a time machine and take you back to those moments of me writing and her translating because she's still learning English a little bit at this point and, and I don't know any Spanish and so I'm putting American idioms in there and she says, I don't know what this means and, and, and I can't figure this out and, and what are you trying to say and can you word it differently and I'm getting frustrated with her and she's getting frustrated with me and, and by the time that she's done translating the lesson, we're both just in the flesh and I've got to get up and share a spiritual truth in a carnal uh, manner and I can remember she would hand me that finished uh, uh, Sunday school lesson and and I would get it two or three days prior to having to uh, uh, teach it and I would read over it and read over it and read over it and I can remember her getting on me no the emphasis is on this part of the word and the emphasis is on that part of the word and and I say uh, but there's not an accent mark and she says well it's just understood and you have to know that and then I would get up in front of the Ten or so people that were in my Sunday school class, those poor people had to put up with me reading them a lesson. I didn't even understand what I was reading. And I would get up there and I would fumble and stumble and bumble my way through. And I would stop and my face would be red and I would look at them and I would say in Spanish, I'm so sorry, uh, please forgive me. And then my wife would look at me and say, you're not even saying that right. And, and uh, I, I just struggled my way through. Why? Because the Spanish language was... Advanced. It was hard for me to learn. But you know, I reached a point where I led my first soul to the Lord in Spanish and where I knew the person got saved. I was in the city of Frederick, Maryland, and I was looking at an assistant pastor position. This would have been, uh, this would have been probably 2009, uh, the summer of 2009. And uh, I was out there doing some soul winning with the church staff. And uh, we ran into a lady who spoke Spanish, and I began to go through the gospel, and something just happened. The Lord took over, and boy, she was crying when she got saved, and uh, it was very clear uh, that uh, God had used my broken Spanish, and God began to show me, if you'll just love, let me love others through you, boy, this will happen, and uh, I could stand, stand up here this evening and tell you about other times I messed up the Spanish language in ways that just embarrassed the fire out of me, but you know what? The longer I got to know the language the easier it became to speak the language. The longer I was exposed to the language, the easier it was to speak the language. Now, there is nothing natural about me loving you the way God has called me to love you. Nothing natural about it. In fact, it's about as much of a foreign concept as, as you learning another language that you don't speak. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to feel at times that you can't do it. Uh, you have this, these preconceived ideas about how to love others that came from 
your childhood and you want to default back to what is uh, uh, natural or familiar to you and not what God has called you to do, not how God wants you to love. And uh, the scripture shows you that your love is broken and instead of fixing it, you just ignore it. And my friend, you will never be effective in loving others until you become more and more familiar with God. And as you become familiar with God, God will help you fix your love and help you love others. The goal this evening is for me to convince you to be nothing more than a conduit. You see, the first commandment and the second commandment fit hand in hand. You with me? Listen closely. If I am truly in love with God, then I will get to know God. And because God is love, by default, I will turn around and I will love others because that's who God is. If you're struggling to love others, then my friend, your relationship with God is not very deep. If there's a brother or sister in your life right now that you've just thrown up your hands in the air and said, I can't love them, I won't love them. Aren't you glad God never threw his hands up in the air on you? Aren't you glad God never gave up on you? To know God is to love others. If you don't love others, if there's someone in your life you refuse to love, then, my friend, you don't know God very well. With this as the foundation for the message this evening, let's jump into 1 John rather 4, 7 through 11, and let's look at three thoughts as we consider the epistle's command, Beloved, let us love one another. Point number one of the message tonight is this, our admonishment to love. Our admonishment to love. 1 John 4. Verse 7 and 8, and at the end of the service, we're going to sing the chorus that goes along with these. Uh, but it goes like this. Here, the, here, the, here are the verses. Read them with me there at home aloud, if you could. Right there off your screen or out of your Bible. Uh, read it out loud with me. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Just before Easter in 2009, Fred Winters was the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Maryville, Illinois. He was shot and killed during a Sunday morning service by a disturbed young man. The tragedy shocked the church and it shocked the pastor's family, but it did not destroy their faith. The next week, the newly widowed Cindy Winters was interviewed on a national news broadcast. When asked about her husband's killer, here's what she said. She said, I do not have any hatred or even hard feelings toward him. We, as a church, have been praying for him. One of the first things that my daughter said to me after this happened was, you know, I hope that he comes to learn to love Jesus through all of this. We are not angry at all. And we really firmly believe that he can find hope and forgiveness and peace through this by coming to know Jesus. And we hope that happens for him. Could you say that about someone who had just murdered your 
closest loved one? Where does Miss Cindy Walters find it in her heart to speak such kind love towards someone who had committed such a horrible crime? Miss Cindy found this, Miss Cindy Winters rather, found this in her heart because she must have had a very personal, deep, intimate relationship with God. You see, while my sin was nailing Jesus to the cross, God did not look down at me and say, I hate you for putting my son there. God said, I love you. That's why my son is up there. God has commanded us to love. You've heard me say this multiple times this year. It bears repeating here yet again. Loving someone who brings you an ice cream cone is easy. Loving someone who is kind to you is easy. Loving someone who loves on you is easy. Uh, Some of you here that come to our church, your love language is giving gifts. Uh, I think of Brother Russo, who just loves to give gifts. And he's dropped uh, cases of water off of the church. I believe he's watching right now. Brother Russo, I know you don't want me to do this, so you just bear with me. I'm using you as an illustration. And Brother Russo has brought me uh, uh, cashews. I love cashews. And he brought me Swedish fish and Uh, He's been very, very giving and kind to me. And you attend church here and you're a gift giver. Maybe you enjoy getting gifts. You enjoy uh, uh, giving and getting gifts. Someone drops off a gift to you and you take that home and you think, oh boy, I sure love that person. Boy, they're so kind to me. But listen, anybody can love somebody who gives them things. Anybody can love someone who uh, is, is loving them. Can you love someone who is a thorn in your flesh? Can you love someone who is uh, 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 hurting you? Can you love someone who is unkind to you? Can you love someone who you have a personality clash with and there is a constant struggle there? We're not just admonished to love those who are easy to love. We're admonished to love those who are hard to love. You know, Jesus washed the feet of Judas right before uh, Judas betrayed him. Jesus loved his earthly uh, half-brothers even though they didn't believe in him. Uh, Jesus uh, uh, loved the, the, the scribes and Pharisees when they marched up and down at the base of the cross and shook their head and he said, Father, forgive them. Jesus loved the Roman centurion that oversaw the execution and in my opinion even saved his soul that day. Why? Because God, Jesus loved others regardless of their behavior. Can I just say this this evening that you're not going to be judged by, uh, in heaven by God. You're not going to be judged for how other people treat you. You're going to be judged by how you responded. We are commanded to love. And we know that the formula for joy is what? Jesus, others, you. And what is that? Joy comes from proper love. Joy comes from when I love Jesus first, I love others before myself, and I prefer myself last. Jesus, others, you. And when you learn to make that formula prevalent in every corner of your life, Jesus, others, you, what you'll find is that your heart is filled with the love of Jesus. You say, Pastor, I'm just not there. Pastor, I'm just not there. How do I get there? You get there by getting to know God. Again, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is a child of God, is born of God, and knoweth God. 
If you're not able to love others, that is a sign that you need to deepen your knowledge of God. Now, there's two no's. And if you're a Spanish speaker tonight, there's two different words that mean no. And one means to know, like have an intellectual knowledge of. And the other word for no in Spanish means to be familiar with. And so uh, you can be familiar with God, or rather you can have a, 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 a head knowledge of God. That's not what this is talking about. This knowing God is an intimate relationship with God. Point number one, our admonishment to love. Notice point number two, the architect of love. The architect of love. Uh, Look with me at 1 John 4. Look at the last three words of verse 8. It says, God is love. Now look at verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Now, the author here, John, is uh, jumping right in to Jesus' entry into earth. I would like for us to back up a little bit, and I would like for us to consider that God's loving of us began well before Jesus' entry into the earth. Let me take you on a journey and show you how that God is love. Letter A, notice, he created us. In love. He created us in love. If you have your Bible, turn back to Genesis chapter 1, and let me make a point for you. Now, I, I, you'll find that in my preaching, I land in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 a lot. And the reason why I do that is if I believe we have a deep, deep understanding of Genesis 1, 2, and 3, boy, that helps us have a much better foundation for the rest of our Bible doctrines. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and look at verse number 3. The Bible there says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. What did God create here? He created light. How did He create it? He created it by speaking it into existence. Look at verse 6. We find the second day of creation. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the water. So God created dry land on the second day. How did God create the firmament or the dry land? He spoke it into existence. Look at verse number nine. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so let me back up on day two. He created the atmosphere. Uh, the firmament is the atmosphere. It's the space uh, between heaven and earth. Uh, day three, he created dry land. How did God create the dry land? He spoke it into existence. With his voice. All of this points to the power of God. Look at verse number 11. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree, um, uh, yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed it is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. So the, the plants, the trees, the shrubs uh, all came about because God spoke them with his words into existence. Look at verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So God created day and night. He created uh, the yearly calendar. Uh, he created seasons. He, it, what did he do? How did he do this? He did it with the power of his voice. Look at verse number 20. And God said, and God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. How did God create the birds in the air and the fish in the sea? He spoke them into existence. Verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures after his kind cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. 
So the giraffes and the elephants and uh, the, the duck-billed plat- platypus and, and all of the animals that exist that creep upon the earth, that walk upon the earth from the smallest of animals to the largest of animals, how did they get here? God spoke them into existence. How powerful is God? So powerful that up to this point, he's not needed to even lift one finger to create anything in the world. Have you stopped to consider the complexity of everything that's been created up to day six, up to this point in day six? Have you stopped to consider that there are elements of these things we still haven't figured out, that we still don't understand, but God created them just by speaking them into existence? Let me ask you a question this this evening. Could God have spoken mankind and womankind into existence if if he had chosen to? Is God powerful enough to where he could have spoken us, humans, into existence? What do you think? Of course he could have. But he didn't. God chose rather to come down and make us with his hands. He created us in love. Look with me at Genesis chapter 2. Now, there's an account in Genesis 1 and 2. They're a repetitive account. Genesis 2 gives us a few more details. Look at verse Number seven, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Boy, up to this point, up to this point in day six, God has just spoken everything into existence. But then God came down to his creation, and with his own hands, he took the dust of the earth and he formed Adam. I wish I could see that. I wish I could go and just sit on a log somewhere nearby and watch God's hands take nature and form a human man out of that. And then that lifeless body was laying there, completely formed and created. And God came down and breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. You see, God could have just said, let there be man. Poof, there was man. He didn't do that. He created us in love. And if that wasn't enough, he also created womankind with his hands. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up his flesh instead thereof. What did God do with that rib? He formed out of that rib a woman. God created womankind with his own hands. How marvelous is a human being? Each one is handcrafted by creator God. And then, on top of that, God placed within the, within the being of each human a free will to make the conscious choice To love him back. God created you out of love. You say, Pastor, but I have a big nose. Pastor, uh, but I have a receding hairline. Amen. Uh, You say, Pastor, I'm short. Down here. Pastor, uh, I'm I'm too tall and I'm clunky. Pastor, um, uh, I was born with an autoimmune disease. Pastor, I was born 
uh, uh, with uh, uh, poor health. Pastor, I can't see. Pastor, uh, I can't hear. And, and this has to be translated for me uh, via a sign language. Pastor, I have this deficiency, this shortcoming. And I would say that uh, you may see those as a shortcoming or as an obstacle to what the perfect prototypical human would be. But to you, to God, He created you out of love. He loves you. He cares for you. And the very fact that you exist is evidence that He loves you. You see, God even gave the process of creating another human being that must be done, uh, uh, or rather, His original intent in having that done was done through an act of of love. God created us in love. Letter B, notice, He chastened us in love. He chastened us in love. Look at Genesis 3. And without going into the details this evening, you know about the, the fruit that was put there and how they uh, were tempted and ate the fruit. Look at Genesis 3, verse 15. Jesus here, or rather God here, speaking uh, to the, the serpent uh, here as they're being corrected. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel upon and unto the woman. He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake in sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and also and thistles shall it bring forth for thee, and thou shalt eat the uh, herb of the field. You say, Pastor, I fail to see any chasten, any love in this chastening right here from 15 to 18. Uh, the serpent is promised a death by the crushing of a woman. The woman is promised all of the complications and pain and struggles that go along with childbirth. Amen. I'm glad I'm a man. Um, and, uh, and God promised Adam that he would have to sweat. And God promised Adam that he would have to struggle and be tired and fatigued and, and deal with the the earth and all of the struggles that come uh, from thorns and thistles uh, that go with it. And, and, and you say, Pastor, I see here how God punished them, but where is the love? Look down at verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skin and clothed them. How did he make coats of skin? He made them because he sacrificed an animal. And you know what that animal represented? That animal represented their salvation. Boy, he promised Eve that you will have a child, and from that child will come other children, and one day a child will be born that will save your soul from hell. God does not just punish us because he hates us. No, God punishes us because he cares for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, words it this way, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son, whom he receiveth. Now, I know that when we get punished, uh, whether that's written up at work or uh, given a ticket by a police officer, maybe if you're a child here, you get in trouble at school or you get in trouble at home and you think, oh, man, I, I, I don't want to deal with being grounded or, or the corporal punishment or a write-up uh, or a ticket. Uh, I don't want to deal with being fired and all those things. Can I tell you that God, when he punishes us, He's punishing us for the purpose of correcting us so that we will live within the stream of his blessing. He chastens us in love. Letter C, notice, he came to us in love. Back in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, 
we see the story building. God created man in love. He sinned and fell from that love. Then God promised to correct them and bring them back in line with his love. And then that story is beginning. uh, God's love is beginning to be seen in the form of a person. Look at verse nine. In this was manifested, was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. How can we know that God loves us? How can we be certain of that love? Because God cared enough for us to send his son down and wrap him in flesh and robe him in flesh. Pastor Morales preached Sunday or rather Wednesday evening about how the cross screams, I love you. And we celebrate the birth of Jesus every Christmas season. Why was it that Jesus was born? He was not born to give us a day to exchange gifts. He was not born to give the department stores a chance to make enough money to bail themselves out for the rest of the year. Jesus was born for one reason. Jesus was born to die. You know, when Jesus came, even his coming was done in love. Listen to what Luke 2, verse 9 through verse 14 say. The Bible says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, speaking of the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they, the shepherds, were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Part of me is very jealous of those who lived during Jesus' time. I can't imagine living in a a city and hearing Jesus has come to town, being able to pack a lunch and go and sit on a hillside somewhere and watch him perform miracles, watch him teach the scriptures, the truth. Boy, Jesus Christ left heaven because mankind needed a plan of redemption. You understand this, that if Jesus Christ had not left heaven, heaven, then all of us would be doomed to use a biblical world word, all of us would have suffered under the damnation of our sin. All of us would have had to go to hell. He came to us in love. Letter D, notice, he cures us in love. Look at verse 10. 1 John 4, verse 10. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. How do we know that God loves us? Is it just because he told us? No, it's because he was willing to pay the ultimate price to buy us back. He was willing to suffer on Calvary in our place. How brutal was the cross? I think the best way to answer that question is with another question. How brutal is hell? You see, when you stop to think about hell being a place of fire, you stop to think about hell being a place of damnation, hell being a place of great torment, hell being a place where God turns his back on those that are there and takes away his goodness. 
Hell being a place of fire. Hell being a place of eternal misery. You begin to understand just how horrid the cross was for Jesus. And he went through that for me. He went through that for you. Why? Why? Because God loves you. It's impossible, Christian. It's impossible for you to spend time with God each day. I mean real, intimate time with God each day. It's impossible for you to do that and then turn around and not love your brother and sister in the Lord. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? For God is love. How selfish is it for us to be created in His love, chastised in His love, cured in His love, and then we put a limit on how far we'll go to love someone else? We've seen, number one, our admonishment to love. Number two, the architect to love. Number three, notice the attributes of Christian love. The attributes of Christian love. Let's talk about what this looks like practically. Letter A, notice the scope of his love. The scope of his love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 10 says this, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Listen to what verse 9 and 10 say. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The scope of his love, the Lord Jesus Christ reached down to the lowest of lowest. He reached down to the greatest of sinners. He reached down to the most vile, disgusting human beings that could ever live. And Jesus Christ loved them too. He became their sin for them too. I uh, stop and, and think about how God could ever forgive a pedophile, how God could ever forgive someone who takes advantage of children and hurts them. And I have to tell you that I can't comprehend that. I stop and think about people like Jeffrey Dahmer who would cut up the, uh, the, lady, uh, the bodies of women that he would uh, take advantage of and then kill. And then he would cut their bodies up and store those bodies in the refrigerator for his own consumption, for food. And I think, how could God love that? That's detestable to me. That is disgusting to me. How could God love somebody so vile? How could God love someone so awful? I look at that and say, God, they're not worthy of your salvation. They're not worthy of your forgiveness. And then I am convicted by the thought that I'm not worthy of it either. Well, maybe I have not done the horrid things they've done. Boy, my sin in the sight of God is putrid. And while I was his enemy, he loved me anyway. This is my favorite verse in the entire sermon. In fact, um, I've committed to memorize this verse. This is uh, going to enter my memory verse list. Ephesians 3.19. Listen to this verse. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, 
that ye may be filled with the fullness of God. Does that verse not just say everything that I've been trying to say in the sermon this evening? To know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. What comes from that? That ye may be filled uh, with the fullness of God. When I get to know His love, boy, my mind just about explodes because I can't comprehend it. And that I become filled with the fullness of God toward others. The scope of... Of his love. You say, Pastor, I want to love others. I want to have uh, the, the love of Christ toward others. I'm finding it difficult. I'm finding it impossible to love a, a person in my life. I think about those who've gone through a nasty divorce. I'm thinking about those who've been deeply hurt. I'm thinking about those who've had children that have been taken advantage of. I'm thinking about those uh, who, who have suffered some traumatic event at the hands of some perpetrator. And you think, Pastor, I can't love them. It's impossible to love them. And I'm here to say that the more you get to know God, the deeper you get to establish that relationship with Him. God is not calling you to run back and have a relationship with Him. But God is calling you to a place to love and to love and to love. The scope of His love. Letter B, notice the sacrifice of His love. The sacrifice of His love. Go back with me to verse number 10 of 1 John 4. It says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son, look here, to be the propitiation for our sins. For our sins. Now, we don't walk around using the word propitiation on a regular basis, do we? In fact, outside of the Bible and coming to church or watching a church service online, you're not going to hear this word used. It's, it's not a word that's part of our common vocabulary. And I had to look this word up. I, I knew this a long time ago. You know, in, in Bible college, they make you study all of the uh, uh, deep doctrines of the faith. And uh, I had forgotten what this means. And boy, when you look at the definition of propitiation, it takes this verse to a whole other level. The word propitiation means this. It means the means of forgiveness. Now, with that definition in mind, the means of forgiveness, let's go back to verse 10. It says, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the means of forgiveness for our sin. Boy, there was a God had a problem with us. You know what that problem with us was? It was our sin. He hated that sin. And God said, either I'm going to have to condemn you to hell or I'm going to have to do something about the problem we have here. And God said, there's nothing you can do about it because in in and of your nature, you're a sinner. And so what did God do? He sent his perfect son to suffer his wrath so that we could get off clean. He was willing to sacrifice for us. This is an attribute of, of Christian love. Christian, I want you to stop and think about this. What is the scope of your love? You say, well, that difficult person, I tried loving on them and they rejected my love. So I'm done. I'm not trying to be snarky. But can I ask you a question? Is that how God has treated you? You think you've... Snubbed your nose at God's love at some point in your life? I know I have. What if God took an attitude toward you the way you're taking toward that person? 
What if the scope of God's love, your direction was and the comeback is, well, I'm not God. Well, well, I get that. But as I spend time in the presence of God, he broadens my scope. Will my scope ever be where God's is? No. But my scope broadens and broadens and broadens to love more and more and more and to extend more and more and more grace. Pastor Morales sang a song when he first got here, farther than your grace can reach. And I cannot climb or fall farther than your grace can reach. And can I tell you this? The deeper I walk with God, the greater my scope is to love others. And then the next question is, what is the sacrifice of your love? You see, it's, it's, it's fine to love someone when it doesn't cost us anything. But what about when it starts costing you something? You say, well, if I love them, then they're going to take advantage of me. Maybe. Maybe. Have you ever taken advantage of God? Let's just be honest tonight. You ever, you know, taken God's love and not given it back? I breathe His air every day. And there are days I have where I just don't do real well. And I'm breathing His air in and out of my nostrils, and I'm walking in the flesh, and I'm acting quite carnal. And you know what God doesn't say? You know what? I'm going to take my air back. You drop dead, buster. Now, at some point, God may do that. But I'm 36 years old and he hasn't done it yet. He continues to sacrifice for me. If I could build on that thought. When Jesus hung on that cross that day, he died for the billions and billions of people that would live. How many people have trampled underfoot the blood of Jesus and will never be saved? Jesus could have looked at God and said, you know, I would go down there and die on the cross, but for most of them, it's not going to mean anything to them. They're going to take advantage of me. So I just don't think I'm willing to make that sacrifice. You you can't intellectually say that you walk with God and not be growing in your ability to love others. You see, the scope of your love will grow. The sacrifice that you make out of love will become greater and greater. And let her see, notice lastly, the sharing of his love. Let's finish the sermon with a Bible verse and an illustration. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. This is a verse that my mother quoted to me, sang to me from the time I was knee-high to a grasshopper. Sometimes she sang it with even a little bit of, you know, firmness in her voice because I wasn't forgiving my brothers and sisters who had hurt my feelings. And, um, and I was reminded of this on a regular basis. But can we go back to this verse together? Be ye kind. Read it out loud with me. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What if Christ loved you the way that you love others? You see, um, if all I do is take and take and take God's love, and I can't share it with others, then how selfish am I? There's an um, illustration that goes like this in an engine room. It is impossible 
to look into the great boiler and see how much water it contains. But running up beside it is a tiny glass tube which serves as a gauge. As the water stands in the little tube, so it stands in the great boiler. When the tube is half full, the boiler is half full. When the tube is empty, well, you know, the boiler is empty. Do you ask, how do I know I love God? I believe I love Him, but I want to know how much I love God. Look at the gauge. Your love for your brother is the measure of your love for God. As I love my brother, even the difficult ones, especially the difficult ones, God says, you show me how you're loving them, and I'll show you how much you love me. Beloved, let us love one another. We're going to do that. We have to quit loving the world. We have to quit loving ourselves. We have to love Him. And as we love God and we know Him, by default, we'll love each other. All year long, I've been taking a sledgehammer, sledgehamming away at this rock. I'm hoping at some point it cracks. I'm hoping at some point you'll commit to love others. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us this evening? Soften our hearts. Break our hearts. Lord, last week we talked about the importance of having a walk with you. Lord, that walk with you not only enables us to know truth from error, it also enables us to know love from hatred. Help us not to be so selfish as to take in your love. And then, Lord, not turn around and love others. The truth is, Lord, love is vulnerable. Love puts itself out there to be taken advantage of. And Lord, you've loved us and allowed us to take advantage of you. Lord, help us to follow these truths. Help us to get to know you and the love you have for us. And then, Lord, please use us to love others. In Jesus' name, amen.